Lord Jesus, we realize today that all of our lives are like a story. And in this room alone, there's so many different stories. And Lord, whilst we don't know each other's story, we thank you that you know each and every story in this room this morning. Every single one of us. If you know how many hairs are on our head, in fact, each hair on your head, church, is numbered. That's the level of care, the level of attention that the Father gives to our lives. He's not just trying to be clever when he numbers the hairs on your head. He's not trying to just impress you with infinite intelligence. He's just trying to let us know how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. Each hair on your head is numbered. In my case, there's not many numbered, but thank God they're numbered. Thank God they're numbered. They're all numbered, church. You see, he loves us and our stories are different. Our stories maybe far and wide, right across this place. But God is not just interested, He's completely involved and immersed in the picture of our lives, whether we're young or whether we're old. God's interested. Jesus is interested in every single one of us. And today, the story of your life may not be working out in the way that you would have anticipated it work out. You may be disappointed today about the story of your life. You may be hurt. Some people may have been involved in the story of your life that you didn't want in there. But they're in there and they may have changed the course of events of your life. I'm going to get in a minute to encourage you just about how God touched a young man's life, Joseph. His story was a broken story. It started off a great story, but it, en it ended up a broken story, a dark story, a story in which he was confused, a story in which he was manhandled and mistreated and thrown away like a piece of rubbish. Can I ask you today, maybe you feel manhandled, maybe you feel mistreated, maybe you feel as if your life has just been taken hold of and screwed up like a piece of paper and thrown in a rubbish bin. I want to tell you that there's somebody who cares for you. His name is Jesus. He cares, in fact, for every single one of us. And whether life is great or whether life is bad, whether life is high or whether life is low, irrespective of all of the variances of life, and we could all look back on life and see the high points, but I guarantee you, if you look back, you'll be able to see the low points too. But I'm telling you now, there's somebody that has never intruded on your life. He's never demanded that you pay him attention. He's never bust down the door of your house and said, listen, you must notice me. You must worship me. You must sing to me. He just lovingly and gently and quietly walks with you down the road of life. Even when you don't know he's there, he's been there guiding you through and leading you on through this journey of life. And I'm telling you now for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, you can be secure in the fact that Jesus has made you a promise. I will never, he said, leave you. I will never leave you. I've left him a couple of times. A lot of times I've left him. But you know what? He's never left me. Even as a wandering little sheep that's gone away from the fold, he's followed me and he's picked me up and rescued me and caught hold of me when I've been in trouble and when I've stumbled into things that I shouldn't have done and I haven't been able to get out and I've been trapped. He's come in like a good shepherd and caught hold of me and he hasn't whacked me about black and blue to teach me a lesson. Do you know what Jesus did when he, when he said to to, to the Pharisees about that little sheep that would wander away from the fold. He said, the shepherd looks diligently for that little wandering sheep 
And when he finds him, he puts him on his shoulders. He carries the weight of the pain. He carries the weight of the sheep that's got into trouble. And it says, he goes home. He, he carries it home to the fold, rejoicing. Rejoicing. Saying that which was lost is found. He doesn't go home with the sheep on his shoulders, condemning it, taking it back to the fold to, 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 to make a lesson of it. He goes home rejoicing with gladness of his, in his heart. And every time that God's come after you and I, when we've missed the course, when we've taken a left turn instead of making, you know, a right turn, when we've disobeyed and we haven't obeyed, when we've gone the other way and we said, God, it's over. I don't want any more of this. I'm too hurt. I'm too broken. Do you know what? When we have ceased to follow him, he's followed us. He's followed us. And he's come to the place of our brokenness and of our pain. And he hasn't rubbed our nose in it. And he hasn't brought our sin up. You just find a gladness of heart that renews you. You find a gladness of heart in Jesus that overwhelms all of your shame. You find a rejoicing in your ears. And it's from Jesus' mouth that takes away all of the guilt and all of the pain. And all of the, all of the stuff and the sin that you've been involved in. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Your sin is not magnified in His presence. Your failure is not magnified in His presence. Your failure is eclipsed by the joy of the Lord. The fact that you've come into His presence. The fact that you've turned up. The fact that you're, 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 you're standing here today saying, Oh God, I don't understand life, but thank you anyway. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. All of the stuff that we may have felt guilty about, that we may have felt that we failed in, is eclipsed by the presence of amazing joy. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength because in the presence of the Lord, there's not depression, there's not magnification of our sins, there's not remembrance of what we've done, there's only remembrance and reflection of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Lift your hands up. We're going to sing it again. He's perfect. He is perfect in all of his ways. We're not, but he is. Yes, you are. You are so perfect, Jesus. You're wonderful. We love you. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Oh, we love you. Thank for being involved in the story of our lives. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for never, never forsaking us. You're so perfect, Jesus. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout. Woo! We praise you, Jesus. We thank you. Lord, today as we come to your word, I pray if, Lord, emotions are heavy or if hearts are low, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts. You'd encourage us that just in this time where we listen to you, Lord, that you would 
Give us the strength that we need. Lord, we pray, feed us with your word. Encourage us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Wow. Great morning so far. Father's Day. We're going to have a great day today. This morning, I want to continue uh, just on what we've been looking at over the last few weeks about Joseph. We're going to look at his life. And um, closing last week, I made a point about how the Bible is full of stories regarding deliverance. You can look through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and on many occasions you can see how God stepped into the trouble of people's lives and he just delivered them with his arm. It's God's nature to deliver us. It's God's nature to help us. He can't help himself when he hears us cry. When God hears that we're in pain, when God hears that we're in trouble, when, when, when God knows that things aren't going the way that we want them to go or the way that they should go, it's God that jumps in to the situation and delivers us and helps us. When there's a crisis, God wants to be in the middle of us, in the middle of it all, in the middle of us and in the, in the middle of all the trouble, helping us and showing us the way through. The Bible is full of instances where God delivered his people. In fact, salvation is all about deliverance. It's all about rescue. It's all about reaching in to life situations and saving. You know, it's like the, the person that, that, that falls overboard and can't swim and is struggling to keep his head above the water. And he's bobbing up and down and losing breath and using all of his strength to stay afloat and just breathe the last breaths of life in. Just imagine people being on the boat and paying no attention to the person that's drowning at sea. Just imagine having a life aid on board ready to, to be thrown over to those that are struggling or to the person that's, that's battling for life in the water and just ignoring their plea of help, ignoring their trouble. I mean, we would never do that. You know, if you, if you saw somebody struggling for life and you had the means to help them, whether they're struggling at sea or whether they're struggling in life, you, you or I would never just walk on by. If we had the means to help them, we would throw them that life aid. We would throw them that life boy. And it's the same with God. It's exactly the same with God. You know, when God sees us struggling, when God sees our story not working out in the way that we want it to work out or in the way that, that it, sh it should be working out, God just jumps headlong into the situation and seeks to help us. Whether that aid is directly Him coming into it or whether that aid is through others that He sends to help us. God is a deliverer. It's His nature. He rescues us. He saves us. And it's wonderful. There's lots of occasions in the Bible that you can look at, that we can look at. And not only that, you can look back at the testimony of your own life and see how God has delivered you on many, many occasions. However, it's also interesting to see in the Bible that there are occasions, lots of occasions in fact, where people were walking through life just like you and I, and they hit a crisis, they hit trouble, they hit uncertain times, and God didn't deliver them. They cried to help, they cried for help like the others did. They trusted in a way that the others trusted. They demonstrated a faith that the others had, but God didn't deliver them in the way that he delivered others. When you look at Joseph's life, you see that. I'm sure that when hard times hit Joseph, he wanted God to deliver him. When his brothers threw him in a pit, when they stripped him naked and degraded him and said to him, we'll see what comes of your dream, you dreamer, you pompous, proud little runt. And probably a few other selective words that I'm not allowed to use in church. And they kicked him in that pit. Don't you think that Joseph wanted God to deliver him out of his trouble? 
Of course he did. But do you know when you, when you follow the stories through, you begin to understand why God didn't deliver Joseph. And it's only with hindsight that we can see this. Joseph, as he was walking down life's road, wouldn't have been able to see what we can see today regarding his life. All he could see was pain and trouble and difficulty and conflict and blow after blow. But with hindsight, as we read the Bible, we can see something wonderful emerge. God didn't deliver Joseph. He developed him instead. He developed him. And sometimes when the answer doesn't come as quickly as you want it to come, it may be because God isn't going to deliver you in the problem, in the trial, in the crisis. He's going to develop you instead. That's why James, in James chapter 1, talks about counting it joy when we fall into all kinds of trials and temptations. Who wants to fall into a trial? Not me. Who wants to have a real severe temptation? No thank you. No thank you. But James, James sees it in a way that very often... The, the way that we don't see it. He sees another side of temptation. He sees a value in temptation that we need to extract. He sees a value in the test that we need to take hold of. And he says, listen, don't complain about the trial. I read to you from uh, the words of J.P. Phillips or J.B. Phillips, a paraphrase of the Bible uh, from James chapter 1 last week. And he talked about don't see trials and temptations as intruders. Do you know, I mean, I can only talk about my own life. When I've gone through trial, when I've gone through tests, and they haven't been really big ones, to be honest, in light of the trials and the tests that people have gone through in the Bible and in light of the trials and the tests that other people have gone through around the world, my trials and temptations have been very small, my friends. But I'm telling you now, I have not invited these trials and these temptations as blessings. He says, J.B. Phillips, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, brothers, sometimes they're queuing up. One test after another test after another test, and you feel as if you're failing every single one of them. It's awful. They're queuing up those ugly things, crowding into our lives. When they crowd into your lives, brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders. Do you know when that, that colleague in work gets up your nostril and climbs right up into the crown of your head and won't get out of your imagination? You can't sleep. You can't talk a kind word because they're an intruder. They're a trial to you. The Bible is saying, don't count them as an ugly thing, which they probably are. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Welcome. Welcome them as friends. Welcome the trial. Welcome the troubling colleague. Welcome that ugly neighbor that keeps, you know, giving you grief. As friends. And realize that they've come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process, you see, there's a process. Life is a process. Life is full of many different things that build our character, that conform us to the image of Christ. God uses life, doesn't he? I mean, if you've been a Christian more than an hour, you will realize that God uses life to test your faith. God doesn't tempt us with evil. But God does allow testing to come in order for us to be developed, in order for us to become stronger and bigger and more like Christ in life. They come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find 
you have become men of mature character and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in the process, any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem he has, he, he has only to ask God who gives generously to all men without making them feel foolish or guilty and may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will and he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given him. Do you know what? How many times in the midst of a trial have you got on your knees? Or in the midst of a crisis or a difficult period? Or when life isn't working out in the way that you want it to work out? How many times have you got on your knees and just said, Oh God, please help me. I've done that lots of times. Lord, I need wisdom. I've, I've, I've hit a wall here. And I don't know how to get around it. I've tried to dig under it, go over it scale around it but it seems as if I'm hitting a wall and I can't get through it listen trials develop us trials generate a dependence a needful dependence on God we haven't got all the answers for life we haven't got all of the answers of how to go forward when things get difficult we need to go to God who gives us wisdom, who'll show us the way through, who'll enable us to go round the obstacle. And I tell you now, when you involve God, when you cry out for wisdom, He will either deliver you or He will develop you. You know, sometimes you think about life, you think about destiny, and it's a bit, I think, like, you know, one of those dot-to-dot -dot pictures. Have you ever done one of those? There's a whole lot of numbers on the page and a lot of dots. And you've got, you know, you've got to start at number one, dot number one. In order for the picture to, to, to emerge off the page, in order for there to be any semblance of, of, of picture, you need to go from one to two to three to four and join them all up. And as you go down the road of life, joining all of these different dots, suddenly a picture emerges and you begin to see exactly what God has planned for your life. I think it was like that with Joseph. Dot one. Dot one. His father begins to favor him. He gets a coat from his dad, a multicolored coat. Dot two. Fantastic. Everything's going great. My life is set. My future's set. Dad's got plans for me. Dad's got it all for me. It's all laid up for me. Even though I've got brothers, the favor of my father is on me. It's obvious. Everybody can see it and they can hear it. His words to me and his favor to me is obvious. Dad set his plan. Jacob, Joseph's father, had a future for this young lad. The dots were joining before Joseph and before the family. It was obvious. Dot three. Joseph gets an interruption from God. The interruption from God is this incredible dream that begins to show him that he is born for something magnificent. This wasn't just any ordinary kid. This wasn't just some boy that was going to, you know, just do average things with his life. God had put his hand on him. God had interrupted him in the night. And now suddenly before him, a whole picture emerges before him. Dot three, dot four, he begins to tell his brothers. He goes public about things that are private. And he's so, he's so articulate in his communication, he, he can describe it all. He tells them in detail about the power he's going to get, the rule and the authority. And he's not being ugly. I don't believe he's being arrogant or proud. I just think the kid is excited. I think young people should be excited. When you get a bit older, you slow down, you know, because life can give you a bit of a battering. But when you're young, you should be excited. You know, one man said, it's easy to weep with those that weep. Because sometimes when we see weakness in another, it draws out compassion from our hearts. It's easy to weep with those that weep. But can you rejoice with those that rejoice? That's another question. When somebody stands up and God puts the light on them and says, listen, I've got special things for this person. 
This person isn't going to walk the normal course of life like others. And he begins to favor that person, whether it's a man or a woman or a child. And he begins to give them opportunities that the vast majority of us haven't got. The vast majority of us will never have. He begins to raise that individual up for his glory and to do a specific work with, for, with him or with her. Is it easy to rejoice with those that rejoice? And that person begins to just, out of the abundance of their heart, tell testimony and tell of all of the wonderful things that God's doing for them and God's done for them. I think it takes great strength of character. Yes, to weep with those that weep. But I think a whole rounded character is one that can not only weep with those that weep. I can get up here and shed tears easy, my friends. But I'll tell you something now. It's a great character that can really rejoice wholeheartedly when somebody else is rejoicing. It really is. When a heart doesn't envy, when a heart isn't jealous, when a heart hasn't any hatred in it, but when a heart is clean and pure and says, do you know what? I'm behind you all the way. Do you know what, kid? You're dreaming this. You're talking about great things. I want to be the person that promotes you into those great things. I want to be the person that aids you. I want to be the person that serves you. I want to be the person behind you, Joseph, that, that, that can help you do what God is telling you you're going to do. But instead of that, his brothers hated him. His brothers were intimidated by the great words that he spoke about. His brothers were intimidated by the, 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 the intrusion and the interruption that God had made on this kid's life. And they just, they just cast him off. They just said, look, this dreamer, he's just a dreamer. He's, his, his head is full of air. He talks about things that he will never do. He'll never accomplish that. The amazing thing is you just don't know who's growing up in your house. You just don't know who's growing up in your house. You just don't know, church, who sat here this morning. Let me tell you. You just don't know who sat next to you. It could, God could have put his hand on their lives and assigned them for great things. Praise God for it. I tell you now, if this is the launch pad, if this church in Lower Dock Street, one of the hardest streets in Newport, if this is the launch pad into somebody's future for them to become great in the kingdom of God, let's serve them, my friends. Let's, let's launch them. Let's be the people that rejoices with them and are not intimidated by them or envy them. No, thank God for them and pray for them. I want to be that type of person. I do really do but Joseph's brothers they hated him one day maybe it was a dot ten day let's say a dot ten day Jacob sends Joseph to find his brothers they were out with the flocks dot ten now he didn't know what dot eleven was but it was a dot ten day all the dots were joining well. There was, there was flow and, and, you know, there was order. Everything was going according to Jacob's plan. He was probably wearing his coat. Well, he was. He was wearing his coat. But it was a dot ten day. What happened on dot, ten, on, on dot ten day? What happened on that day? Well, his brothers saw him coming from afar off. They began to speak with each other. Look, that dreamer's coming. The dreamer's on his way towards us. Let's, let's kill him. Then we will see what will become of his dream. They take him, manhandle him, rip his coat from him. We covered a lot of it last week. Spat it with blood, throw him in the pit. And suddenly, dot by dot by dot, his life goes into complete chaos. It starts really good. It starts really well, but the dots now are just completely chaotic for 13 years. He gets thrown into a pit. He gets sold into Egypt as, as a slave. 
Then suddenly, for a, for a brief time, he gets favor in Pharaoh's house because God is with him. When all of the dots are gone all over the place, when everything's chaotic and nothing seems to be orderly anymore, he's left his father's house behind. He, he can't hear the, the, the encouraging words of dad anymore. He's out alone, on his own, in life as a 17-year-old kid. And the dots are just like one big jumbled mess. And it's zigzagging everywhere. It's going from left to right, up, down, everywhere, all over the page. And it looks like a big scribble. Does your life look like a scribble? Does your life look like, you know, a mess of events that you have no control over? Well, be encouraged if it does. Because if we all look back, all of our lives do. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, as Paul looked confidently into life, and when he looked back at his past, he says this, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't matter where the dots are going, my friends. It doesn't matter if your life looks like one big scribble on a page. I'm telling you now, give your life to God, trust him with your heart, and he will make sense of that scribble. He will rearrange all of the chaos. He will rearrange all of the all of the mess and the mixture of life and he will work it. Paul didn't say, "Listen, I work I'm I I Paul was a brilliant man. He was a, a very able man. He was an intellectual. He was a man that spoke many languages. He was, you know, he was an incredibly uh, religious man. But Paul did not say with all of his brilliance, I am going to use all of my ability to work all things together for good. I am going to use my strength. I am going to use my mind. I am going to use my influence to work my life together for good. No, Paul left it all to God. He left the scribble on the page to God. He left those dots that he couldn't understand that were being joined here, there and everywhere over to God and he says, Lord, I confidently place my life in your hands and he exhorted the church to do the same and he says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. God's working things together for your good. The bad things, the ugly things, the out of shape things, the scribbly things, the scrunched up things that have been thrown in a bin, he's working them together for good. When Joseph ended up in Potiphar's house, things are going well for a while. He gets a break. Then suddenly, there's a turn of events. It's crazy. I mean, how this kid didn't end up with a mental breakdown is just unbelievable. It really is. How this kid just didn't give up and throw in the towel and say, listen, no more. God's with him. God's at his side. And then suddenly, Potiphar's wife comes out with a slanderous accusation. Potiphar comes home, hears the news that, that Joseph is accused of raping his wife. He grabs hold of him, throws him in prison. Joseph goes into prison, and I'm sure he looks back, he thinks, my gosh, look at my life. Maybe he remembered the comforts of his own dad's house. Maybe he remembered all of the blessings under Jacob's care. And now he's in a prison. Now he's so far away from home, removed, and his life has come to an end. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalms, I think it's in Psalm 118, but I may be wrong. But I think it is. It actually says in the Psalms, when Joseph was in prison, his feet were in chains and his hands were manacled. And it, says, it actually says that he was crying. He was crying. Well, you would, wouldn't you? I think he'd just come to rock bottom. He'd come to rock bottom so many times. Not just once, but several times. Hitting the wall. Hitting rock bottom. God's not delivering, but God is developing. Joseph maybe just wondered, why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you delivering me? 
Maybe he did not understand that every place and every location that he visited was a means of developing him for greatness. It was David that said, Lord, through my adversity, you enlarged me. It's through the problems and the trials and the conflicts and the crises that you become enlarged. We don't like them. We don't count them joy. We don't relish them and invite them in. But I'm telling you something now. When you come through a crisis, when you come through trouble, when you come through pain, you will be enlarged. Sometimes I'm not there yet, but we should thank God for every crisis, every problem and every trial that comes into our lives. Why? Because God is placing confidence and trust in us to go through those seasons. He sits back and looks at this, just this jumble of past life a mess but God's with him in the prison and it's noted and it's seen and the prison manager hasn't got to handle any affairs it's given over to Joseph the favor's there again you see even when the, the, the sign of favor the coat of many colors even when it's stripped off you and there's lies and there's slander about you favor's still on you It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what is stripped from you outwardly. You see, if God has favored you and blessed you, which he has, it can't be removed off your life. So wherever you are, that favor and that grace is going to come upon you and be present and resident wherever you are in life like it was for this kid. He's in the prison and then he's interpreting other people's dreams when his dream has died, when his dream is dead in the water. It's gone. It's over for this kid. But to get a dream in the prison, and you see, God is piecing it and working it all together. How is it that Joseph just happens to be in the right place at the right time, in the moment when these two men get a dream? Baker and a butler get a dream. We won't say what happened to the baker. He got his head cut off. That was the interpretation of that dream. The butler got promoted within two days. Joseph said, please remember me. And he forgot about him for two years until Pharaoh gets a dream. And Pharaoh's troubled by this dream. Joseph's at the lowest place, Pharaoh's at the highest place. It seems such a distance, such a breach. You would never be able to go up that ladder. Maybe it's like that in work. You're at the lowest place and people are at the highest place and they've got rule over you and you don't think that you can ever ascend that distance. You don't ever think that you can ever breach that place. Why? Because people are powerful, people are strong, and they're treating you as if you're not. You're in a lowly place, they're in a high place. I'm telling you now, never take God out of the equation. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. That's the presence that we are in this morning, my friends. It really is. And suddenly, as Pharaoh gets his troubling dream, And he begins to speak it to his wise men and they're troubled by the mystery of it all. The butler remembers that Joseph had interpreted his dream and it had come to pass. And suddenly Joseph gets washed. He has a change of clothes. He's standing before Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. Not only interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, but actually giving him wisdom in how to administer the supplies that they are going to receive in the seven years of favor and then how to administer and manage those supplies in the following seven years of famine which are going to hit the land. And suddenly God has elevated this young man from from the lowliest place into the highest place and in a matter of moments it seems as if his dream has come to pass. Everything that was spoken, and of course it hasn't, it had taken 17 years to get to that place.
One of the things that becomes very apparent in his story that I think is very important to us as we walk down through life and see our story unfold is that Joseph had a forgiving spirit. He never complained. You never hear a, a remark coming from his mouth that is wrongful or disparaging of others. Yes, he had lots of hurts. Yes, he had lots of pain. Yes, he went through tremendous trials, probably things that we will never go through. And yet, he had this ability not to harbor a grudge. Hurt, yes. Broken, yes. Destitute of hope, yes. Grieving, yes. But in the midst of all of that pain, he had this ability to forgive. To forgive. To let the past be the past. Paul said, you know the words well, forgetting the things that are behind. Oh, if we could only forget the things that are behind. Jesus will give us power to forget the things that are behind. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Forgetting the things that are behind. It's an amazing thought behind that word, that Greek word, forgetting. And it's this, to cease to be affected by. When you forget what's behind, you cease to be affected by. Isn't it great that Jesus' life within us enables us to cease to be affected by the past? Cease to be affected by the pain. Cease to be affected by those words that cut you down. Those words that hurt you. Those words that injured you. Those words in a moment of anger, maybe from a spouse, maybe from a close friend, maybe from a parent that belittled you and treated you as a piece of rubbish and all of a sudden they were spewed out over your life and you couldn't remove the stains off your soul. And all you can do now is look and see and visualize what was spoken. I tell you now, words are as strong and as striking as any blow to the face, as any wound inflicted. The life of power and death is in the tongue. And sometimes some of the most painful things that we have gone through as, as people have come from others as they have just violently spewed out their thoughts and their words over us. Maybe a parent over a child. Maybe you're here today and years now you've been living with that word over your life. And it's stained your soul and it's marked your soul. And that soul as it's been formed has grown into the life that you now live. Well, Jesus, Jesus enables us. This is a word for us. All of us, not one more than another. All of us. Jesus enables us to forget what's behind. To cease to be affected by so that we can go on and live in all of the blessings and all of the beauty that he's designed for our life. Joseph had this amazing ability to forgive. How do I know that? Well, you see it in the names that he called his two children that were born to him. Let me read it to you quickly. Genesis 41, verse 50 and 52, says this. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn 
Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you know what? When you forgive, when you, when, when, when you forgive that person, when you forgive that incident, when you put closure on your past, that forgiveness enables you to forget all of the affliction that you've been through. It just wipes it clean so that you can live fully in your present, that you can be expectant about your future. And not only does forgiveness enable you to forget the things of the past, Joseph named the second son that was born to him a frame because God, he said, has made me fruitful. You want to be fruitful? Unforgiveness will never enable us to forget the past. Unforgiveness will never enable us to be fruitful in the future and in our present. But it's God that enables us to bring closure. It really is on our past. You may say, but my, my past is loaded with years, with years of incidents that are so hard to forgive. How can it be removed? How can, how can that be moved? It's like a mountain. Now you should know where I'm going with this. It's like a mountain before me. What did Jesus say about mountains? He said, listen, if you've got seed like faith, speak to the mountain. Speak to all of those past incidents that have built up, that are mountain-like. When you look back and tower over your life and, and shadow your life, Turn around and speak to those things and say, listen, be gone, be moved into the sea, I, 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 the sea of, of, of forgetfulness. Remove it, speak to it, say, be uprooted and be cast into the sea. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Forget the things that are behind, Paul says. Cease to be affected by those things and move into, move into a new day, just like Joseph did. We can't do it ourselves, my friends. We are frail. We are weak. Of course we are. But with the presence of Jesus, with a prayer to him, oh Lord, please help me. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If he can take a kid that's been broken and enable him to forget the past so that he remembers it as a memorial in his children's names. If he can, if he can enable a kid who's been uh, accused of rape to say, God has made me fruitful. When Joseph came into power, do you, you know, he could have got a list of people that he was going to deal with. He could have gone straight to Potiphar's house, dealt with them, gone back to his, his father's house and dealt with them, but no. Forgiveness. Forgiveness was all over his life. As he lived now in the blessing of his destiny. Amen. Fantastic. Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you for your people. I thank you just for simple words, simple instruction. Maybe today we're struggling with the past. That's not unusual because the past is such a big issue in all of our lives. But we bring our past to you today. We bring our past to you. Lord Jesus, would you make a reality in our lives the very words that Paul spoke to the church, forgetting what's behind. I pray that blessing, that word on every person here this morning. Lord, I pray, I pray for every single person that, Lord, they would forget what's behind them. Lord, thank you when it comes to your benefits. David said in Psalm 103, we don't have to forget any of your benefits. We remember those benefits. We magnify those benefits and blessings. But when it comes to our past, 
you exhort us and encourage us to forget what's behind us so that we can press on to the prize. We can press on to the upward call. And I pray for that blessing to be on every home, every person, that the past would not affect any person here. That, Lord, forgiveness would be, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. And, Lord, it would be an attribute of our lives that forgiveness would, would, Lord, be the first thing that we see rise when we're in a crisis or when we're in a trial or a difficulty. Lord, we thank you that as we forgive and as we bring closure on the past, Lord, I thank you that you will enable us to be fruitful. Fruitful. Fruitful in our work, in our homes, in our church, in our lives before you. In Jesus' name. Now, you may be here today. You may never have asked Jesus into your heart. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. He knows all about you. He loves you dearly. The Bible says he died on the cross to remove the distance between us and him. That distance was sin. But Jesus died on the cross so that he could cross that breach and come into our lives. I want to pray a prayer with you right now. An invitation to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Would you pray this with me quietly? If you would like Jesus to come into your heart, you're not praying to me. I can't do anything for you. But together, let's approach him and ask him to give you the peace that you've been searching for to give you the security that you need to remove the fears of your mind. He's a savior. He's a rescuer. He's a deliverer. And that's who I want us to pray to right now. If you've never prayed or asked Jesus into your heart, please would you do it right now with me? Simple words. Pray this with me. Church, can we close our eyes and pray right now for those that may want to pray this prayer? Just say this quietly, Lord Jesus, I ask you today, please come into my heart. Please give me the peace that I need. Be the Prince of Peace. Please save me. I call on your name, Jesus, to be saved today.